When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk Welcome back to another episode of Pull Up Trey, where me and Samson talk about the good old Raptors basketball. <laughs> Samson, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I just watched Gossman twirl a dime, a gem. I think I'm supposed to say twirl a gem. I think that's the baseball vernacular. Yeah. That was fun. Vladdy hit his second home run of the season. That's kind of what I've been up to today. Also kicking around a couple of written pieces, but I'm doing okay. Not so yeah, bad. Um, our, our bet's not looking good. We can talk about it a bit deeper in the pod, but not looking <laughs> good for me right now. Well, we haven't even determined what the stakes are. So maybe you'll like, you know, get off with not being able to do anything bad. Or maybe we could, you know, maybe put like $400 down on it or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're here to talk about basketball first and foremost. Something happened in the Raptors realm, I would say. And so if you're a person to believe Michael Granger's reporting, I am. He reported today, you know, a couple hours before we're recording Well, actually, I would say four hours before we record, he reports that he does not think that Jeff Dalton Jr. will be converted, which means we won't see him for the rest of the season and we won't see him in the postseason slash playoffs or anything like that. And then he would be a restricted free agent. We're probably looking at the Raptors doing something with Summer League. Who knows how that shakes out for Jeff? A couple hours later, he reports that Jeff will not be converted. This has been a hot topic around the Raptors which I guess points to their lack of strength at the end of bench positions, but also the willingness and the want for fans to accept another homegrown talent, another guy who rose up through the ranks. So in light of the news that he's not being converted, what are your immediate thoughts? Um, I would say it like aligns with what a lot of people have been saying in the sort of like shift and like disorganization you've seen with um the front office for the big reason why the Raptors made uh, a big jump or able to stay consistent and get younger previously while also still being a really good team is that they really invested in the nine Oh five. They and yearly got talent that was able to play rotation minutes. That's very hard to do. It looks like the Raptors got that this year with Jeff Doughton. And I'm not unsure if that is because of um, Barton or they believe in wise camp, but it looks like they aren't willing to reward someone that has proven that they can provide good minutes and is probably our best guard bench currently. So I, I would say um, for me, and obviously they can still sign him in the offseason, it points to either A, like an organizational shift, or or B, our perception of down isn't what they necessarily see. I imagine the, the perception there's probably a fairly different, like a fairly meaningful gap, but... The objective stuff that we can lay out is that Jeff Downton Jr., at least to coach Nurse, the guy who decides who plays, Jeff Downton Jr. had leapfrogged Malachi Flynn, Delano Banton, Joe Wieskamp, Ron Harper Jr., 
anybody who is in a similar situation to he is, either on a 10-day or at the end of the rotation being a later, you know, a late first in Malachi's situation yeah. or a late second in Delano Banton's situation, any Malachi is guaranteed for next season. He's going to get the fourth year of his rookie contract next year. He's guaranteed for it. The Raptors aren't going to cut him. However, Joe Wieskamp, Delano Banton, Will Barton were the three candidates. You think, considering that Doughton was figuring into the rotation more so than almost any other guy there, and Will Barton, he had a big game, right? Like he he gets 20 off the bench recently, hits six threes, gets some of that reg- the positive regression to the mean. Yeah. But if you're asking Nick Nurse, if you're asking most of the fans, if you're asking a lot of people who analyze the Raptors, they're going to say that of that group, Jeff Doughton Jr. is the guy who's most commonly giving you good minutes. Yep. The Raptors didn't. And my my last thing is that there seems to be a disconnect at this point in time between the Raptors 905 and the Raptors in that a lot of the times the Raptors are rewarding talent outside of the organization, bringing guys in who aren't with the 905. And this we can see this with Wieskamp. We can also see this with Barton. We've seen it in the past as well. And, you know, it's it's something to consider for a team that used to be like hand in glove with its, you know, affiliate team and that it was marketed that way. It was promoted this way that these two teams, they work in such close unison, but there's a bit more of a departure from that recently. And I think that's all I would say about it. Uh, besides that, I think they should have converted Doughton. Certainly. Yeah, that's quite clear. But now that um, Downton isn't converted, I talked about this on the Raptors Reaction Podcast, kind of, you know, talking, kicking around this idea of who fits in where. And I thought maybe that Will Barton is maybe the better end of bench option against the Bulls. And Jeff Downton Jr. would have been the better end of bench option against the Hawks. And I said they can have their cake and eat it too, right? Like you, and they must like Wieskamp. Yeah. They, and and Banton, I don't know what's going on. He obviously isn't figuring into anything, but they probably want to get him in the gym again. He's, you know, he's the Canadian who is, he's the first Canadian the team ever drafted. All that stuff. But as you've said to me privately, the Raptors are going to, what is it? Take down a bull. Um, <laughs> catch we're, a hawk. We're going to slaughter a bull, <laughs> capture a hawk, and then go buck hunting. <laughs> Okay, so what that means, obviously, is like the Raptors are slotted to play the Bulls in the play-in. Then if they beat the Bulls, they play the Hawks for the eighth seed. And then, or I guess, it could be the Heat for the eighth yeah, seed. Yeah, it suppose. could be. Um, get the suntan lotion in that case. No uh, no <laughs> Hawk hunting or whatever. And then they would play the Bucks um, as the the one seed. I'm curious, just flashbulb thoughts. You hear... Or you see it happening, it lays out in front of you like, uh-oh, the Raptors are going to be playing the Bulls. DeMar DeRozan is playing the Raptors in technically the postseason, not the playoffs. What, what are your thoughts there? Um, it's If you asked me a month ago, I feel, I'd feel very confident and think that we'd there's a, a clear gap. But the Bulls have been playing very well. Their defense has improved significantly. I think major challenges with that matchup is um, – DeMar is their, their ball handler. And although the Raptors have been able to turn him over, uh, particularly in one game, they turned him over a billion times. Um, a big reason for that was that Zach Levine wasn't at the level that he is now. 
So in a lot of these blitzing actions or us showing really hard against DeMar DeRozan, that tertiary player who's going to get the ball against that switch who's flying at him is Zach Levine, which offers a lot of challenges. He's going to create advantages. And I think what will probably decide the game is if those players like um, a Pat Beverly, Caruso, uh, Patrick Williams hit their shots off of the switches that come to Zach Levine um, advantages. Well, I think it's also that I remember the game where the Raptors kind of got blown up and Zach yep. Levine was there that the big deal is that a lot of teams in the NBA are looking to cover ground and they want to stunt and they want to promote the idea that they're everywhere on the court. You can't truly be. And there are some guys, if you just punch it, like you drive the lane, that rotation isn't as convincing as many people think it is. And that's what Levine did um, against the Raptors in that game was that when the ball came out of DeMar's hands and there was an overload, he was like, somebody might come over, but I don't know if they're rotating with a lot of conviction. They're expecting me to make the next pass. I might just go punch it, you know? and like the Raptors, they have to be really good defensively and they, I think, should rotate hard to the ball rather than kind of trying to cover ground. And honestly, considering where the strengths lie with the Bulls, I think the number one thing you do is you say, if Patrick Beverly, as as much as I'm pretty sure everyone is loath to lose to a Patrick Beverly performance, because you hear about that till the day you die. Like Patrick, it could be... 2048 and Patrick Beverly would be like, I sent them boys home. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like they shouldn't have left me open. But I think that probably the the collection of Caruso, Williams, Pat Bev, even Vooch to some degree, you have to let those guys shoot and they have to prove it. Otherwise, I think the Raptors should. And, you know, Lewis wrote about this. The Raptors doing a really good job of turning the water off from the corners and at the rim. Uh, I think that the Raptors should prioritize the paint rather than, I guess, covering ground. I, what do you think of that? No, I I agree, especially um, considering like Pat Bev is like a very streaky shooter and their best defenders are Caruso, Pat Bev in a sense, who aren't necessarily going to scare you from from the like from three and alternatively even on on defense. What we haven't really seen with this matchup is like how is Jakob at how does Demar react to Jakob at level and having instead of shooting um, a mid ranger over a Precious Achua, it's a seven foot actual center. Does that change the landscape of how hard that you send those those stunts, or also um, how much coverage are you willing to allow allow on the back, give up on the back end? Considering Demar is like very crafty and is able to often squeeze even between like the hardest of like shows. That's that's actually a really great point is that the Raptors used to have to we're talking about blitzing right at the start. But the thing that, you know, is uh, how would I say a little bit easier and more it's more conservative, but it's just as effective, if not more effective, is having Jakob at the level or drop and OG in lock and trail or kind of icing. Right. However, you want to put him at the point of attack. I think that there's a lot of avenues to success. Right. An avenue to success for the listener is to go with Queensway Automotive Group, the sponsor of the podcast. If you're looking to get into a lease, out of a lease, they are your people. If you need to shop around and get quotes about cars, they will help you out. If you need to fix your car, they will help you out. In addition to all that, I mean, sure, they've got leases, but you can also buy pre-owned. You can buy brand new. 
Mazda, Mitsubishi, Volkswagen. It's all of that stuff going on over there. They are the sponsor of the podcast. If you're looking to get sorted out with your car needs, link in the bio, click away. It helps the show. It helps the sponsor. We thank them very much. Okay, the biggest thing about this Bulls series, I think everybody wants to know how the offensive hierarchy for the Raptors shakes out, probably. There's different groups, I suspect, of of fans that they want. Some people want a nice Freddy game. Mm -hmm. Some people will want a nice Pascal game. Some people want both of those things not to happen and for things to shift towards Scotty. What do you expect to happen? Like when you see this Bulls defense, what do you expect the Raptors to be able to do quite often? And what do you expect them to maybe put on the back burner for the sake of the matchup? Yeah. For the, for the matchup, I know they've been heavy reliant on their pick and roll, but Isles Cruz is also one of the best screen navigators in the NBA. So that offers a lot more challenges than they're typically willing to see. But alternatively with, um, what I've noticed a lot of the times when they play the Bulls, the Bulls tend to to overhelp a lot because they don't have much size on the wing. And Vucevic isn't the greatest rim protector. I would what I see as the the alternative is OG and and Scotty flash cutting, making off ball cuts as Pascal's diving to the rim and scoring from there because the resistance is instead of um Caruso. Vucevic, who's who's chilling in the paint, is willing to let Pascal shoot. There's a flashing OG Ananobi who's been playing really well that can navigate space and finish and score there. I think, man, I don't even know how that matchup would shake out. I don't know how the Bulls will want to guard it because it's yeah. like, is Caruso going on Van Vliet? And then you leave Levine on one of presumably OG or Scotty. In which case, that's probably very tough for Zach. Um, Caruso would do much better in those situations, but Caruso, that's also moving him away from. Well, I'm, actually, I'll just. I think Caruso is going to guard Fred, and yeah. I think that Pascal will be guarded by Pat. Will he can win yeah. that matchup? But like, like he should. He should definitely win that matchup. You know, he was on Draymond Green's podcast. Was it today or yesterday when they recorded? And he called Pascal number one option. You have to be able to win your matchup against Patrick Williams in the playoffs, in the postseason, I should say. And that leaves, I think, a sizable opportunity for one of the Raptors' two burgeoning wings. These guys, Scotty, he he wants to be that dude. OG wants to be one of the dudes. And if you have one of the easier matchups on the floor and the Raptors are a team that while they've run a lot more pick and roll lately and Fred's done a great job and so has Jakob, they still hunt mismatches. There's mm-hmm. an opportunity for one of Scotty or OG to creep closer to probably 20, 25 points in this one via, you know, taking advantage of, you know, DeMar's not the most attentive <laughs> off-ball defender. I feel like if, I feel like they probably want to put DeMar on Scotty because... Yeah, I would guess because of the shooting, right? DeMar can wander the same limited area, but if you put him on OG, he has to cover a lot of ground to pay attention. I just, I think there's an opportunity for one of Scotty or OG to put up a, quite a few more points, a handful more points than we're, we've seen from their averages. And I also think that Pascal, given the matchup, the limitations at the rim for Vucevic, not necessarily that he's bad, but just that, it's not elite. 
yeah. the fact that at any point in time, Pascal might end up getting a guy like Caruso or Kobe White or Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan on him because you're you're one switch away from like a really good mismatch for Pascal. It should be a good game for him. It should be a good game for one of Scotty or OG. And Fred, hopefully, you know, just shot one for 12. Hopefully that's sorted out because if it isn't, the the heavy help will uh, be a bit more effective. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What what are your thoughts on on one of Scotty or OG? I suppose I I would say if if one of them are are going to like have like a breakout game, it would probably be OG because you're leaving one of Zach Levine and Demar Derozan, and they neither of them have the intent to want to defend at someone like OG, nor do they have the strength or or tools to do so. So him coming off of a lot of Pascal's actions and diving down to the rim is not very fun for those those type of defenders. And I think Vucevic, OG junks the ball every time. I don't, I don't think Vucevic is stopping him at the rim either. It's, I think it will work well. Now, since we'll have a couple days to talk about this, and I think um, Steph No. Uh, will be coming on to preview the playing game with me. Great writer. He just actually profiled Caitlin Cooper, by the way. Oh. Um, big, big story about Caitlin, how you know many people are fans of her work in the NBA out of it. Um, Patreon in the bio. Why not? If you guys want to support Caitlin Cooper, who was recently on the podcast. Here's the thing, though. OG Ananobi. We'll table the bulls. Just OG. He's been really, really good. The things that, okay, well, I'll leave it there. Take it away. OG's been really good. What do you think motivates it? What have you noticed? Um, I think the biggest difference has been the his mid-range jumper. What he had success early in the season was that he was getting the ball once Pascal, Fred, or anyone was creating advantage for him, and then getting all the way to the rim and scoring. The, the counter to that was teams are realizing he's finishing at a very high level, we're going to send extra help because a the tertiary player on the next side cannot shoot at all, and he's going to have a harder time navigating and twisting and turning, getting to the rim simply because he isn't the most coordinated. But now, once he's getting the ball, he's able to stop five to ten feet in front of there and actually score, and that's leading to the defense having to draw a bit up and him also getting the opportunity to then get to the rim more because the defense isn't all parked in the paint because he's shown that he's been able to shoot. If he continues this and and gets to the level of consistency where people have to guard his mid-range jumper, that's where you get to he can be a bigger option on the team or or somewhere else and get paid where what he wants to get paid. So people have been noticing. There's like an always ongoing conversation about OG's fluidity, his balance, those things on the offensive end. Hold him back. I'm sure he would admit the same if he said that much out, you know, out to the world, which he doesn't. Um, but I'm curious, what have you seen, if anything? Do you think this is people with selective bias being, you see one good thing and you're like, yes, I want OG to like transcend these struggles that he's had. I'm seeing a trend. Or do you actually think there's been a trend? Uh, I'll first touch on is like the fluidity concerns are like definitely a thing. He's a humongous person (laughs) (laughs) and is is incredibly long. So to have that type of coordination, just a very rare skill set. That's Kevin Durant type 
rarity in terms of tools. Uh, but compared to where he's been, even last year, he's improved significantly in terms of his coordination. You saw, um, I remember in the Boston game, takes a wide pin, comes down, turns around and hits a pull-up three. Whereas last season, he probably doesn't have the confidence to even attempt that shot. Or you see his, or you see typically see when he's off balance, you see that leg flick in the air because he isn't as balanced as he wants to be. But he's hitting that shot a bit more consistently. And that's that's kind of the swing skill that everyone's been hoping for him to have over the last few years. So we have basically a month of basketball. I'll give you guys some numbers that probably are going to blow everybody's minds because they're they're ridiculous. So OG shooting 73% at the rim. He's shooting 45% from the short mid-range, which isn't elite, but is certainly that's something that defenses will respect if you shoot 45% from there. He's shooting, and get this, 73% in the long mid-range. So between basically the free throw line and the three-point line, um, he's 73%. Not a ton of volume. He's 11 of 15. He's 14 of 31 in the short mid-range, but you know an 11 of 15 run is pretty good too, right? And then from three, he's shooting 46% on just massive volume. Him being this good, and this is kind of the the pitch for OG, I find, and why I'm so high on OG. You know, many people who listen will remember Trey, the villain, said to Trey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> just a joke. <laughs> just a joke. Um, but the reason why I'm so high on OG is because he has been able to couple efficiency with moderate volume. And that's not really an easy thing to do in the NBA. And it's also coupled with the fact that he's, you know, an all NBA or all defense, um, perhaps one day, one season, well, a guy who can receive defensive player of the year votes, maybe a top three finish. I don't know about number one. It's tough. There's politics, all that kind of stuff. But this latest run for him has included some more variance or versatility as far as how he attacks closeouts, having a couple counters to the defense sagging away and saying, you better come like dunk it over me or you're going to have to hit a push shot. He's had those kinds of things, but mostly, and man, he had that one, man, he had like a in and out dribble with his left hand and then a, like a live dribble left-handed bullet pass or the pick and roll to, I, it was either Scotty or Chris Boucher, I can't remember. Like he's had stuff, but mostly this great run for him has been lower usage, massive efficiency. And that's like the beauty of OG and the, the beauty that he probably doesn't want to encompass. He wants to be massive usage, above average efficiency, probably. Like that's, he's, he no doubt sees the dollar signs and good for him. You want to get paid that that's why they do it, right? That's why people play. I'm doing this right now because I love basketball. It helps that I get paid to talk about basketball. You know, it'd be harder if I didn't. OG <laughs> wants to get paid. He wants to play the style that earns him the most money, gives him the highest potential to earn. And it's probably not this right now, but this stuff is what makes him so valuable is you can just kind of scale it back and he can still score like 18 points a game. It's just he's not taking up that many possessions. Do you feel any differently given this latest run about where OG sits, you know, in, in your hierarchy of off-season decisions? We'll, we'll do the mailbag question where, once again, Trey, you're the GM. Oh, man. Uh, again, po apologies. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, no, I think like my opinion was all dependent on um, whether he wanted to stay or not for the most part, to be honest. Yeah. And if he wants to stay, you obviously keep him on the team. He's one of the most rare players in the league. But in terms of like his upside and scaling from there, like I don't see his mid-range being a reliable shot just just considering that's a reliable shot for 5% of the league and being a general mm-hmm. source of offense. But his, the, his ability now to navigate the traffic that's he's, he's seeing in the paint now that teams are respecting him as a, as a player that can maintain advantages, I think is real. He's been able to show that he can both pass the ball, um, show a bit more craftiness and fluidity to navigate and get to the paint, which is still very valuable. I... I don't, as a guy who, it like, it's been something I've been paying attention to for years at this point. Something I paid close attention to. Um, like to the point where way back when, before the bubble, I was writing a piece about like, every time OG dribbled, this is what happened. And I thought there were so many positive indicators, but it's just like, teams have to respond to you accordingly. And it's so tough to be that level of player at the NBA level, which is kind of what, you know, go back to that podcast between Draymond and Pascal. Draymond saying, like, that's the hardest thing to do is to be a number one. It's absolutely that's the hardest thing. But it's nearly as hard to go up to being like a number two, you know, or number three. It's really hard to take game plans from opposing defenses. It's really hard to consistently beat guys. OG is one of those guys who does not get consistently beat. I bet a bunch of players after they play the Raptors and they've had OG check them all night are like, am I that dude? Because I wasn't like tonight and I wasn't able to to give my team all the advantages they need to. OG is currently trying to take that step and be that guy who does give those advantages often. The thing about it is that it's really difficult to do. And if he doesn't get there, He's still such a fantastic player, but more than anything, I think it's just been like super fun to watch him perform at this level, at this efficiency. The other guy that is kind of interests the fan base to no end. Um, the fan base also has, you know, for a good reason, he's the fourth overall pick of 2021. He had a good game last night against the Celtics. I thought he was, I thought he was pretty good prior to that. I think that certain members of, Toronto media are very quick to highlight when when Scotty hasn't scored for like two quarters. <laughs> there, there is kind of like I consider it perhaps an antiquated sentiment that like you got to earn, like you got to play well to earn your paycheck. Like there's there's some commentary that comes up with Scotty when he pops off in the fourth quarter. They're like, well, if only he could do it for the first three. Like there's all that kind of stuff that goes on. And while that would be great. It's a game of runs. Like the reason Pascal does a lot of his scoring in third quarters. Pascal does a lot of his, like, you'll find that a lot of players score about half their points for the game in one quarter. Oh, like it's just, it's a game of runs. You find advantages. Uh, Otherwise, you're looking for them, looking for something to exploit. Scotty's a young guy who doesn't have a jump shot. When he finds something he can exploit, he hammers it till death. And that's great. He doesn't find that many opportunities lately or lately at all because it's tough because defenses aren't going to bend and change for a guy who doesn't shoot that well. 
um, it's great that he can already find these opportunities with his limited skill set. He's like a marvel. When when he finally starts growing that out more as a more accomplished scorer, it's going to be great. But a zero-point performance, did that sway you? Does that matter to you? What have you thought of Scotty lately? Um, like when looking at like prospects in general, like I, I don't think you can look at like um, certain stretches and use a, like a, a lineation of like this is who that player is. Just some because like uh, we do though. Them. I mean, <laughs> that's what people do. What when, when it benefits me, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, like because development obviously isn't linear, and they're approaching new uh, new stimuluses and and new counters that they haven't seen defense do, especially Scotty entering his second year where he saw his first year he saw tons of success, but with him he's played played very well that i think the biggest thing that i've loved to i've seen is probably his defense i would say the beginning of the year you would probably say that he's been a liability on the floor although the raptors have one of the harder schemes to execute the the whole reason that uh the only way that it really survives is that if everyone is on a string and if you're allowing blowouts after you you peel out there's no reason to run the run the scheme to be honest you're giving up free rim runs and now he's he can stay within the structure of the defense and offer some resistance, especially as a low man where he can really use his uh, his instincts, blow up actions, and that leads to a lot of um, transition opportunities. So I would say that's the most important thing that he's done to make him more playable. And then obviously offensively, he's he's uh, one of the best strength separators probably I've seen out of a young player where he can. Although the advantages he gets are very tiny, he can blow up a seven-foot center, create separation in space, and still finish, which mm-hmm. is, I think, going to be very um, useful heading into the playoffs when we play the Bucs. Um, because, A, um, Brooke Lopez, most people aren't necessarily going into his chest. He's using his length. They're stopping five feet, and he's able to offer deterrence from there, whereas Scotty is going into him. And that w- which creates opportunities for for other people on the glass because he's been engaged. It's when you think about it, looks like it's easy. Yeah. When Scotty does it, you could watch two hundred and forty players target Brooks' chest as he's backpedaling and try and bump him off his spot. Yeah. They're gonna sink into that thing like quicksand, man. Like it's you're not gonna move him. You, yeah. You're just going to absorb his like his sternum's going to move back a little bit, and it's and then his length is still going to be there, right? It's all those things are still going to be present. Scotty is the guy; he moves him, and Scotty moves everybody. This was one of the first things that I think people noticed about Scotty that interested people about Scotty. You talked about strength separation, strength creation. It's it's underrated. Jalen Brunson was an underrated guard because he separated. He, he created with strength. Kyle Lowry created with strength. Like Paul Pierce was a strength creator. It's it's being on balance, but also being strong with that balance. And Scotty, man, does he have that in spades, man, in yeah. spades. He impresses me to no end. Adam, um, who I sit with when I go to the games, uh, Adam Lascaris, he had this at the start of the season. He was He goes to the opposing locker rooms a lot of the times, and he would ask, the opposing players, the stars, hey, what have you thought about Scotty Barnes this year? And many people saw that, you know, those quotes roll out of 
he's going to be fine. He's going to be totally fine. That is what everybody echoed. Many people who listen to this podcast or pay attention to my work will notice that Jason Tatum and I shared the same opinion (laughs) on Scotty Barnes. Points for me, I suppose. It's nice, obviously, that Scotty has been able to transcend the harsher critics of the earlier season and some of the limitations that he had on court. Something that's really up your alley, Trey. This team, now, I know you better than the listener does. Yeah. I'll give them the background. <laughs> Trey is a little little draft sicko, okay? This guy loves prospects. He loves college hoops. He loves high school basketball. He just wants, he, he likes dreaming on the next big thing, okay? And the Raptors have stiff-armed the next big thing. Do you think that's fair to say? Yes, they they decided that they believe in this core and they're willing to to gamble. Okay. 100%. So, and not to bring up the the Thad trade again, <laughs> which I know you have feelings about, <laughs> but the Raptors they made the Jakob Pertl trade. Jakob has been awesome. The Raptors have completely transformed their defense. They're second in defensive rating since the All Star break, and he's been fantastic on the role. He's rejuvenated Fred's season. All the, all those good things. The Raptors are still going to end up as the ninth seed, presumably, which means ping pong balls, Trey. You can dream on the next big thing. Just what are your thoughts on the overall, the Raptors being in it to that extent? Uh, um, ideally, you want them to win the playing game. But if they if they don't, they're in a really good spot where they can acquire um, a lead ball handler. Right around that 11 to 15 range, there's a bunch of different guards where um, they provide ball handling that the Raptors have been looking for for years. Uh, I'll, I'll name a couple. Um, the one that I like the most and in our group chat we've all been fanboying for is um, Kobe Bufkin, um, a guard from Michigan who offers a lot of the same appeals as a Jordan Poole where they aren't necessarily um, the Andrew Nemhard. Corey Joseph, traditional point guard, let's get everyone set. They can both play on the ball, get to the rim, um, use their speed and handle to get there and finish. They can shoot from three. He can both play off ball, which would be a humongous um, um, humongous of asset to Pascal. If you have someone that can both punish that, that peel that comes out to you and also shoot if there's a catch-and-shoot opportunity. There's guys like um, Cassin Wallace, Who's probably I would I would say is very Raptors esque, yeah. <laughs> hard nosed defender who can both shoot who can both shoot the ball and offer some connectivity passing. And then the last one I will say, um, Jalen Hood Shafino, who um, is more in the organizing um, set um, point guards, but he operates in the same similar way as uh, D'Angelo Russell, where they have that slinky herky jerky style where they're Using um, using their big to analyze what's on the court, and they, he he can punish with the mid range. He can finish at the rim, and um, offer offer um, great three point shooting as well. So I think he'd be a great fit on a bench lineup to pair with Jakob, run fifty pick and rolls in a row, and offer some positive minutes. So with the Raptors, do you think that how, how important is this pick? Because there's it's, not. Yeah, go ahead. It's humongous. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, because they won't have a pick next year, although people say the draft isn't good next year. 
it's really going to be, and if they are going to commit to the court, it's really going to be the last time that they're going to get an impactful young asset within Pascal's peak, Pascal and Fred's peak, most likely. So they ideally need to get a starter out of this and hopefully an impactful starter who can be paired with that Scotty OG timeline and and you can be confident that that's your core heading into um, the future. That's that's definitely it, is that the Raptors, they got, I guess, one of a guy who gives you the impact of an all-star player in OG yeah. in, in the 20s, right? They yeah. got an all-NBA, two-time all-NBA player, um, probably not going to be three-time all-NBA player with the 27th pick in Pascal. They got an all-star undrafted. And Norman Powell is just like, they got Gary Trent Jr. for Norman Powell. They also got meaningful playoff minutes out of Norman Powell. They got just hundreds of threes made from him, tons of dunks, like just impact, impact, impact. The Raptors have found it at the back end of the draft. They're going to be certainly in the top 15. They have to hit. They hit on Scotty. Well done. Yeah. But they have to hit because not only is it imperative if they are putting this you know, this group of guys on a platform and saying, here, here you go, here's your opportunity. And also hopefully give you like a, a rookie who gives some form of impact or some form of juice. But yeah. it's also, it's like, if you're doing this, you're also not selecting guys three years after Scotty because they don't have their pick. And, you know, the second rounder, who knows what that looks like. But it's like, these are opportunities that you're also missing in being able to add to Scotty because the contract timeline is still behind because mm -hmm. it's still a good opportunity, right? So it's just, they got a hit, man. Whew. And, and Coloco, I think isn't, maybe he won't be the biggest possible win, but I think like you get a rotation player second round and I think Coloco will be yeah. good. Maybe he's a he's starter. Hit. Maybe he's a starter someday, right? Who knows? Yeah. Rotation player, starter, second contract for the kid. Well done. Malachi, Sandwich in between <laughs> McDaniels and Bain is tough, man. It, like, it's tough. And, you know, the Raptors didn't have a chance at McDaniels as much as many people liked it. But Bain, you know, it's it's tough. But the Raptors, two-way guys, end-of-bench players, they haven't been able to get the surplus um, impact from those guys that they typically have been able to get. And um, we've talked about, I think, mostly everything in the Raptors sphere yeah. Nick Nurse, we talked about last time. Uh, I think people feel the same way about it now yeah. that they did about it then. The only thing is that, I, and I really enjoyed this, because this is kind of what I predicted, was that if, since Nurse came out and said that, there's no longer people doubting, because you and I had, <laughs> you and I, we released the podcast before, yeah. you know, he had his comments. Yeah. We were talking about, you know, the murmurs around it, all that kind of stuff. And people are like, well, you know, that's our coach, you know, yeah. like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then he comes out and he's like, maybe I'm not the coach. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I don't want to be here. Yeah. I, don't know if I like it here. Which I think is spin. I think that if there's, if there's a, hmm, how do I put this? If there's a party that is more motivated to separate, I would view it as the Raptors. That's that's the last thing I want to say about Nurse before 
they go into this season or the end of the season, whatever that looks like, before Nurse takes his time to decide, before the Raptors take theirs, all that kind of stuff. But is there anything surrounding the Raptors that you're interested in that you want to talk about before we get out of here? Mm. In terms of nothing, nothing really Raptors related. I think we kind of nailed nailed everything on on the head. Okay, um, starting pitching, Blue Jays. Uh, that's what I was about to ask you. Okay, let's <laughs> let's talk about it. All right. What so weird velocity stuff going on? We just watched Gossman win, but this is a guy who he touches ninety eight. Like last year, he could get it up to ninety eight. He's usually hanging around like ninety five, ninety six. You know, it touched 93 a couple times last year. He threw an 88-mile-per-hour fastball today, man. What is going on with no, that? Make, that makes no sense. He's he's dealing, though. He, yeah. He's been in no real tr- – I think he had a little bit of trouble in the sixth, but – The two walks, yeah. Yeah. Or, sorry, the two hits, two hits, yeah. Yeah. But he, he's he's been fantastic, especially considering how terrible the Blue Jays pitching has been. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Bassett. Because Manoa, he he flipped it around. He gave yeah. you seven scoreless. You never turn your nose up at seven scoreless. In this day and age, not only do most starting pitchers like only touch seven innings like three or four times a year, Manoa gets there quite often. But seven scoreless, I mean, you you take that, you walk away with it. He'll be fine. He's an ace level pitcher. Yeah. Probably not as good as Gossman, but that's hey, we'll put that to the side. But Bassett and Barrios, man, I think Bassett's ERA right now is like twenty four. Yeah. By the time people are listening to it, we might be gearing up for a Bassett start. But man, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, the uh, the concerning part was that Bassett was very concerned after the game. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Like I don't know what happened. I've never been like this before." <laughs> yeah, that that's not what you want to hear. Like. Barrios coming in and being like, oh, there's a couple change-ups. It'll be fine. I just won't throw those anymore. Bassett yeah. being like looking at his hand like, what? You know, <laughs> he's not sure. What's going on? But, yeah, he was really struggling with velocity. And with someone that's that's older that you paid to to just be a oh, – Jesus. All right, I'll Okay. Um, with Bassett, he really struggled with velocity, and with an older starter, that's the major concern. You kind of saw that with Ryu. When he lost it, he lost it very quickly. He lost the spin, too. Ryu was like, (laughs) you know, you could, because they capture spin right now, and you could look at who lost the most spin rate after they took away the sticky stuff. Ryu was a he was a sticky stuff merchant, bro. He was he was clinging <laughs> off to your life. He was so young, good. <laughs> yeah, he was. He just fell off immediately, oh, which which is rough. But with with Bassett, um, from every anyone that I've spoken to who's a Mets fan is that the velocity comes and goes, and he wins off location. So I'm I'm going to bet on that. With Barrios, I've lost all hope. <laughs> oh, really? You're out. Yeah, I'm out. Just Ooh. because. He he doesn't have many stuff that that can throw an out a batter out. The large majority of the time, we're we're hoping these these we're hoping that these flyouts stay in the ballpark, and that's usually <laughs> the, <laughs> the difference of whether he can play do six innings or he can get, or if he's going to do two innings. So this this is the thing about Barrios. I think it's Inosaris has like a a metric called stuff plus. It's supposed to rate like 
how nasty a pitcher's pitches are. And Barrios grades out as a pitcher with pretty good stuff. Like there's movement on it. He's got okay, like he doesn't have top end velocity for a starting yeah. pitcher, but he's got okay velocity. And the guy just, he his miss is in the middle of the plate. There's so many times this guy, he doesn't paint corners. Like with Bassett, he his whole career, he basically had the same thing as Barrios, right? Where you look at his whole career, like seven seasons, it's always like 3.5 ERA. It's pretty damn good. And it's in a lot of innings. And you think, okay, it'll be fine. We just watched Zach Greinke throw like 86 miles per hour and he held the, the Blue Jays down. I think like you don't have to have velocity. And, and hell, Gossman just did six scoreless with an 88 mile per hour fastball, right? It's about placement and the pitch mix. And Barrios, man, it it just doesn't seem like it's there. It hasn't been there at all. I don't know. Maybe he needs maybe he needs Jansen behind the plate. People talk about Jansen being like a good game caller. I'm not I don't know enough about it, but man, pretty gnarly. Oh, it's rough. Kukuchi, baby. That's our guy. Kukuchi. The Cooch. Let's <laughs> Let's go. Um, yeah, the only other Blue Jays thing is that Varsho has been really great. Yeah, Belt has been. Oh my god! Could could not have gone worse, bro. If if he doesn't, <laughs> he struck out like almost every single time he goes up to bat. It's crazy. Yeah, I think I think he's like over like seventeen, <laughs> over eighteen, something around that range. I think I think he has like like fourteen or fifteen strikeouts. Yeah. I think he struck out on more than 60% of his at-bats so far. It's crazy. Uh, we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, for anybody listening and enjoying the Blue Jays talk, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk more about the Blue Jays at the end of these episodes. It's been pretty good lately, though. They yeah. they turned it around. Three wins in a row. Easy peasy. On the right course. We're going to go to a game soon. Trey, any parting shots for the for the listeners? Um, Hang tight. The... But... The Bulls, the Bulls should be no problem. We're we're gonna be fine. All right, understood. We'll hang in there. We'll keep it calm, uh, listener. Thanks for hanging in with us. If you're listening on YouTube, watching on YouTube, like the video, subscribe to the channel. The most important one is to subscribe to RaptorsRepublic.com. That's what gets us paid, man. That's what has us looked after, and um, we we certainly do appreciate it. We think the work is worth it, and the industry is in a crazy place. It helps us maintain our spot there, which is very important in Toronto Raptors media. Um, and if you're listening on the podcast channel, thanks for chopping it up with Trey and I. Thanks for listening in. And whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. <laughs>